Hello everyone and welcome to Punk Lotto Pod, the game where no one wins. I'm your co-host Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where using a random number generator and the Rate Your Music Punk Charts, we pick one album and one EP to discuss. And uh, before we dive into the show, I guess, uh, how has your week been? Any any uh, new Craigslist adventures? Um, not much. I got a text from someone because uh, I just went ahead and put my phone number in the ad just because like it helps. Yeah. It, it, people are so weird about email, but they'll happily text you. <laughs> so I, I put my, I got a text from someone who was asking if I would be interested in joining him and his bandmate. Uh, they were a banjo player and a guitarist vocalist. and they're sort of folk punk and i was like there's always that possibility that it's the good kind of folk punk there aren't that many though and i don't know any that have banjos in them well yeah and i was also really curious about that too um so i was like i could be interested and like he friended me on facebook and it's just like oh nope nope (laughs) Is he an oogle? A oogle, yeah. <laughs> Use an oogle. Yeah. <laughs> Other no than thanks. that, I uh, I reached out to someone who posted saying he was looking for bandmates for like a indie shoegaze kind of band. Everyone wants to play shoegaze in Phoenix <laughs> for some reason, or at least what they think is shoegaze. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of like basically just post-rock indie that people are like, we're a shoegaze dream pop band. And it's like, no, you're not. Yeah. You just have delay pedals. That's not that's not shoegaze. Shoegaze was really has been really popular the last couple of years. And yeah. I'm wondering if it's like the one like one of the forms of indie rock that maybe takes a little less skill to play. You kind of learn gotta... a couple tricks. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you buy you... you buy a jazz master and you <laughs> just kind of like wiggle your your tremolo arm the whole time you're strumming and you just use a lot of fuzz and a lot of delay and people call it shoegaze which yeah. is why a lot of it is boring yeah <laughs> because it's like oh you've just only got the uh the texture you didn't really understand the songwriting <laughs> <laughs> yeah like what makes shoegaze good is that it's really good pop songwriting at its core right <laughs> But yeah, that that didn't really go anywhere because the guy was just like, it was really weird. He would be like, "I'm free now." (laughs) He did he did that like two times or something. He's like, "I'm freeing up," and I'm like, "Okay, but now I'm doing something." (laughs) You can't just like let's plan a time. Yeah, like I I texted him back. I was like, "If there's a specific time that works for you this week, let's get together." And he didn't get back to me. But Whatever. he couldn't I, just come play at the drop of a hat. Yeah. I don't need an, another guitar player that badly. Yeah. <laughs> you need a drummer more than anything. Yeah. <laughs> I need a drummer, and then I can just grab any bass player, and we can just <laughs> be a three-piece. It's fine. I can... Did you play... What bands have you played bass in? Uh, I played in a hardcore band. That's fine. Perfect. <laughs> so you'll do exactly what I tell you. <laughs> Uh, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> My guitarist told me what to play, so I just did that. You yeah. have a lot of open E, I hope. <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> Hardcore kid at heart. Yeah, just I guess. Converted it all to Springsteen punk. <laughs> a lot of E chords there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't done much this week. This is the first week where I haven't had to work 60 hours of overtime in like you know a month that wasn't surrounded by christmas so i wound up seeing like a bunch of movies in this last week uh saw aquaman last week that movie's fucking bonkers (laughs) it looks weird it's like it kind of reminded me of like really bad 90s movies and how they would just go for it sometimes like dolph lundgren is in the movie and he has a red he has and his head is hair his giant nose. (laughs) 
Oh, I think I found our clue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, <laughs> he's got red hair and a red beard, which is just weird because I've never seen him with anything other than blonde and black hair. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that movie's just weird. What else? What else did I see? I went and saw... I've seen two movies about royalty this week. Oh, did <laughs> you saw, see The Favorite? Yeah, I went and saw The Favorite, which was really good. People acted like it was going to be way weirder than it was. It's great. It's, it's, it's well, definitely... Well, because it's Yorgos Lanthimos, so I think everyone was expecting it to be, like, really weird. So, even people who saw it gave it, like, these weird reviews that were like, this movie's insane. It's like, it's not really that insane. It's just... Um, Demotched? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably accurate. It's a little um, more risque than your typical period piece yeah. usually is. I'd, rec- I'd say it's a period piece for people who don't like period pieces. And maybe that's why people were so weirded out by it. Because I also went and saw Mary Queen of Scots this week, and that is like paint by numbers period piece right yeah i went uh when i was in town for christmas i went by the the art house theater that i used to work at um and they had both of those movies Mm -hmm. so like i was just talking to like our the guy i know really well manager there um assistant manager there i guess and he was saying like people people were hating the favorite because (laughs) because it's just these rich old white people that go to the the art house movie theater and they love period pieces so mm-hmm. they all just figured they would love that and they were they were all just like appalled at how <laughs> gross it, it is re- it's really funny because where i saw it i saw it at the local film club and it's the same thing it's all mm-hmm. rich old white people and when the movie was over they always have a discussion afterwards and like uh usually half the room leaves because most they don't want to just sit there and talk um they <laughs> yeah. just want to leave the theater um but the ho- the host was like so what did everybody think of it and half the room booed <laughs> i was like what I was, <laughs> I was going in thinking it was a really good movie i didn't love it but i, I liked it a lot but then their reaction made me go wait wait what oh oh so this pissed you off. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like it a little more for that reason. I mean, it's just a movie that has a lot of anachronistic, like, swearing and stuff in it. I mean, I don't yeah. And sex. So it's just like, okay. It's well, right. I mean, it's about the grotesqueness of royalty. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, it's about yeah, basically conniving and getting your way to the top. It, it kind of sounds like, um, what's that movie? The... Dangerous Liaisons? Is that the original? Um, I think it's one. It's got the one. It's the one with John Malkovich. It's like a period piece where mm-hmm. they like they you know play tricks on each other basically. To I don't know. It's kind of almost Shakespearean too because I feel like there's a lot of conniving in Shakespeare plays. So I don't know. I don't know what they wanted. Yeah. I think they wanted Mary Queen of Scots, which yeah. was was good, but it wasn't anything remarkable other than performances. Yeah, I really I would like to see the favorite. Like I. I would go into it with somewhat low expectations because I, I really didn't like the lobster. Mm-hmm. Um, like I liked the first half of it, and just it lost me in the second half. Um, and he just kind of seems like that kind of director, just yeah. like swings for the fences, I guess. And yeah, it's worth watching, especially for Olivia Coleman. Yeah, and Emma Stone actually really all, all three of them, to be honest. Are yeah, Rachel really Weisz is great. Yeah, so. It's worth it for their performances, and the story is interesting enough, and it's got funny stuff. Though they did tend to cram all the funny stuff in the trailer, so yeah. And then, and then way on the opposite end of the spectrum, I went and saw the movie Escape Room. <laughs> Do you know what that is? I I think I've seen the trailer for it. It's a PG thirteen January horror movie. If that gives you any oh god indication, um, it's like Saw if you took all the gore out of it. Oh jeez. And made the emphasis on the actual puzzle solving. So in a way, it really wasn't that bad. <laughs> they, it's unique. It, 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 not unique. It's 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 well done. It's like um, they go to an escape room and they have like five different rooms they have to get out of. But you can also die in the escape room, and it's kind of 
typical of that formula but they did make some unique rooms and you were you didn't care about the characters but you were like oh how are they gonna get out of this room so it did <laughs> you're a- actually really into the puzzles <laughs> yeah yeah they did a good job so it was, it, it it has like a 50 percent on metacritic and for this type of horror movie it, that's actually really good so <laughs> <laughs> there's like nobody in this yeah the cast so, is really unknown like Tyler Labine is like the only person yeah, I recognize. Deborah, what isn't that the woman from Dexter? Deborah Ann what, Wall. Um, yeah. She's known for True Blood. Oh, True Blood. Yeah, True yeah. Blood. she's Karen Page in Daredevil. That's who she is. I recognized her. Okay, she's got red hair in this movie, and she's blonde in Daredevil. Okay. Yeah. Well, this has been movie roundup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, we talked a long time about that. So uh, what? Uh, what year did we get? <laughs> All right, we got the year 1982, so let's take a look at the charts for 1982 and see, were there any trends in 82? See Um, how badly we lost? Man, so we were looking at this right before we hit record, and we both were like, oh, fuck, this this first page rules. It's it's so good. Holy (laughs) shit, just... Just real quick, the top ten. Yeah. Right. The Cure, pornography, dead, uh-huh. dead Kennedys, plastic surgery, disasters, bad uh-huh. brains, bad brains. Uh, we can skip the fall. Yeah. Uh. I mean, it's a big deal. <laughs> Versus by Mission of Burma, Walk mm-hmm. Among Us by Misfits, <laughs> Hear Nothing, See Nothing, Say Nothing by Discharge, Under the Big Black Sun by X, the best X album. Yeah. Uh, Milo goes to college. The is that the best Descendants album? Yeah, I think so. The Faith Void Split. Yeah, <laughs> like come on. And then you keep going. There's a Susie and the Banshees. There's Bauhaus. There's Psychedelic Furs. Modern English. I bet that album's fun. MDC. No, that's not a good one. Why would you point that one? Is out? that not a good one? <laughs> I don't know. It's a cops? big name. They suck. <laughs> uh, Strawberries by The Damned. Yeah. Combat Rock by The Clash. There's the Flex Your Head comp. Songs of the Free by Gang of Four. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then even, yeah, I mean, even like some of your, like, not as big stuff or like maybe not as straightforward punk, you've got like a Cocteau Twins record, you've got like a Gun Club. Mm-hmm. Psychic TV. Even on the next page, there's orange juice and, well, once you get on the second page, you start to lose <laughs> yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, drops off pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a front-loaded year, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Sonic Youth by Sonic Youth is on there, so that's interesting. Uh, Beneath the Shadows by TSOL. That's actually uh, their best album, I think. There's a Richard Hill and the Voidoids album. Yeah, it kind of drops off. <laughs> is um Is the Kids Will Have Their Say by... SSD control. Is that a good one? I don't know that I've really listened I, to it. I don't think so. I think it's the thing that I don't like about our two main uh, albums we're discussing today. It, it So they're in... In 82, I guess we're in full-blown American hardcore, right? Yeah. Uh, have Minor Threat done anything at this point? They had to have, right? And we got the first Bad Brains album this year. Um... I mean, we're already on the second album of the the what only major Black Flag spinoff band. True, true. So we have to be like dead smack in the middle of it because they're already spun off. Um, I mean, they spun off pretty much immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are we still in a pre Henry Rollins Black Flag era? Um, Damaged would have come out in damage came out in 81 so we're in oh wow post so we're right rollins. in the middle of it we're in the good rollins era yeah before they get bad <laughs> before they turn into like a freeform jazz band <laughs> yeah 82 would have been when tv party came out uh everything went black which that has everything went black what is that just like the compilation i think so because that's the Keith it, Morris and Ron no, there's a... Uh, yeah, that's the one that's got, like, 
I think it just compiles everything that Keith Morris, Ron, and Des Kadena did. Yeah. But this is a weird, like, between year for the Minutemen, because the only thing that came out this year by them was be- the Bean Spill EP, which is not one of the more well-known ones. It's, like, between the punchline and what makes a man start fires, and between Joy and Buzzer Howl. So it's, like, uh, right there. Just They probably played a shitload of shows, but they hadn't recorded anything, that really. Yeah, the EPs aren't aren't. Yeah, and this is still exciting. Uh, this is still pre Husker Du. I guess their first single maybe came out in '81. So this is real early. Yeah, for them. Is this a between year for Minor Threat too? This is a strange year. The only Black Flag this year, I think, is the TV Party EP. Yeah. So. uh... We're right in the middle of American Hardcore, and we're at the beginning stages of New Wave, it looks like. Or kind of like where New Wave is starting to get big. Like, post-punk is already a thing, but it hasn't fully evolved into New Wave yet by this point. The Modern English album is probably the one that is kicking kicking that off. Um, I mean, there's definitely some, some early No Wave, and then there's, like, there's some early Jangle Pop... Starting to peek its head in there if you get a little further back. Mm-hmm. Um, like The Church had an album, their self-titled album. So, do our albums reflect the trends for 82? Yeah. yeah, I mean, they definitely reflect the early 80s. Um, the American hardcore. Th- that's that's the thing that, when people think of punk in the 80s, that's what they think of. Yeah, but it's interesting. I, I mean, like unless they're is- the kind of person whose who's only awareness of punk was through, like... <laughs> New wave. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, those weirdos. Yeah, tell them about punk. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's dive into um, our albums for the episode, I guess. Unless there's anything else you have to say about the charts. Not really. They really speak okay. for themselves. Yeah. So we got number sixty-six on the album chart, and it is the Circle Jerks, Wild in the Streets. bad (laughs) (laughs) you got like right on top of your mic (laughs) it's bad (laughs) it's bad you know honestly it's not terrible hmm hmm we have different approaches on this album (laughs) boring and keith keith is just annoying (laughs) so um like oh, he's the one like everyone he's the one that people always want to say is the 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 true best vocalist of Black Flag, right? Right. People say that. And I think so it's I, just that the songwriting was at its strongest. Maybe. He's only on one EP. Okay, well, I guess we should let's get some basics out of the way real quick. <clears throat> so uh, this was released March 4th, 1982 on Faulty Products, a sub-label of IRS Records. Um, it uh, They were formed in 1979 in Los Angeles, California. This is the second Circle Jerks album, and the personnel on this album is Keith Morris of Black Flag, and later Off and Flag <laughs> on vocals. Uh, it's Greg Heston of Bad Religion. And Red Cross on guitar, Roger Rogerson on bass, and Lucky Lehrer on drums. And 
Yeah, so that's... Uh, we'll talk about producers later, because I have something I want to say about that. But let's... Okay. So the Black Flag debate. Everybody always talks about Keith Morris as the best vocalist of Black Flag. But really, it's Henry Rollins. Like, hands down. Right. Like, I know why people dislike the Rollins era. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, what? It's- the B-side of my war sucks. <laughs> um, But the A-side rules. There's so much just, like, Greg Ginn bullshit fucking around Googling. on everything after yeah. after damaged yeah but even damaged has those two don't there like two bullshit instrumentals on there yeah it's They're got real, some rough spots yeah like but you can't i don't think the issues with those black flag releases is henry ron's maybe the family man spoken word stuff <laughs> uh that stuff I could see you being like, oh, God, he's so lame. <laughs> but Keith was just on he, Nervous Breakdown. He, and he, yeah. Look at Nervous Breakdown. It's four songs. Nervous Breakdown, Fix Me, I've Had It, and Wasted. I don't even remember I've Had It. But the other three are pretty classic songs um, that also got re-recorded by Henry Rollins. <laughs> and I think he does them better. Um, yeah, because, right, because Jealous Again... Is Ron That's, Ray's. Yeah, which people gave him a bad rap, but the Jealous Again EP rules too. I mean, scratch white minority, but... <laughs> oh, right, yeah. But, okay, maybe it's just right, a Jealous but the, Again song. The A-side, <laughs> the A-side is Jealous Again and Revenge. Yeah. Yeah, B-side. I don't even know what no values and you bet we've got something personal against you are. Right, and then Six Pack is, is that Dez Kadena. Which Dez sounded an awful lot like Henry Rollins. I didn't realize how similar their voices were. Well, right, and Dez is the one who's in the... Is it Dez or is it Ron who is in the the documentary? It's Ron. It is Ron. Decline of Western Civilization. Yeah, yeah it's Ron. They call him Chavo Pederast, <laughs> which I think they had a falling out with him, and so then they, they called him that. I think that's what that name came from. <laughs> that wasn't even, like, his chosen name. Yeah, that wasn't his stage name that... No... And then they're like, oh, you can come back and do the album in 2013. Right. Fuck you, Greg Ginn. Right. You're just mad that Keith Morris is making more money off the Black Flag name than you are. So, yeah, right. So, and listening to this Circle Jerks album. Oh, right. Um, You know, it kind of makes me really annoyed at Flag, right? Why is that? Does, I mean, it just reminds you that Keith is overhyped as a, a Black Flag vocalist. Yeah. He's only on the one EP. Yeah. So why should he get to be the reunited Black Flag that everyone... Like, Greg Ginn sucks. Well, sure. Yeah, Greg Ginn He's sucks. a gigantic asshole, but like he did write those songs. Yeah. If you look... And Keith's not I, good. Keith's not good. <laughs> I... What, what I think about when I think about Flag is I think about it's just giving the other guys some money, basically. Yeah. So that Flag is Chuck Dukowski, Bill Stevenson, Des Kadena, and Steven Egerton is taking um, Greg Ginn's spot. So Chuck, Bill, and Des deserve it because they were in Black Flag for a really long time each. Yeah. So I, I feel like it's it's really just being like, hey, we can sing along to Black Flag songs and not feel bad that we're seeing Greg Ginn. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Be a tool to everybody. And uh, isn't he have some issues too? Some uh, accusations thrown his way? Greg? Yeah. I don't know if there was some accusation. I feel like I heard something about... Let me make sure before I'm like throwing out stuff that... I mean... Oh, right. Ron Ray has accused him of rampant drug use and child abuse. Right. That's right. That's right. He was accused of child <laughs> abuse by his ex-wife, Marina, again. Um, so there's a good chance that it's true. Yeah. So remember that when you buy some SST albums. Yeah. Buy that <laughs> shit used. Don't don't fucking buy that shit repressed. There's no reason to. There's so many fucking copies yeah. that have been in print forever. You can find it used. Yeah. 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 So well, I was I talking about to that. I was talking to friend of the show Corey, uh, <laughs> and he 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 threw this at me. He said a hot take alert. Um, Keith Morris is the worst vocalist in Black Flag. Okay, so someone else someone <laughs> else gets it. Yeah. 
And listening to this and going back and listening to the to the what nervous again or the yeah, the nervous breakdown. Nervous breakdown. Yeah. I combined Joe's <laughs> the kid and nervous breakdown. I'm nervous again. <laughs> it works. Uh and I and I was like, Oh yeah, Keith is the worst vocalist. Because Ron's even a better vocalist than Keith. Yeah. So so who did he say is the best? Henry Rollins. He's so he he agrees. Yeah. He thought Dez was no, I don't know. <laughs> Does anybody say Dez is the best? There's probably somebody. There's probably somebody who says Dez is the best because they don't like the latter Rollins period. Yeah. Yeah. But they like the sound of it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So, I don't uh, know yeah. Circle Jerks. Yeah, now that we've talked about the Black Flag enough, I feel like we had to say some stuff about them, though, in order to have context for the Circle Jerks. So, okay. I think this album is bad. I think it's not good. <laughs> like, it's a... It's, yeah. It's more... A shade of gray you know <laughs> it's not so and i think it's i think there are some good moments i think the first three tracks are the strongest on the album yeah that was what Wild i was gonna the say streets, the first handful me alone stars and stripes Everything after that, I think once you hit meet the press, you're like, oh, I don't care about any of this. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that was just me going, God, these Reagan era complaints feel so quaint now. Uh, <laughs> you know, I kind of appreciated his Reagan era criticisms. I, the thing I do appreciate about Keith Morris is that he doesn't he doesn't speak in generalities. Yeah. I mean, he does actually make pointed criticisms of the Reagan administration and in the early days, in the the early days of the Reagan administration. So I want to give him that much credit. Like he's always been very politically active and attentive. And I just don't think he's a good vocalist. Yeah. There's some weird songs about like what there's one song that's talking about like someone being a boring housewife or something like that. And it's just like, is that what you're really worried about right now? I, I feel like anytime you see Keith Morris in one of those punk documentaries, he's always talking about tearing down the white picket fences and suburbia and all that. And I'm like, I mean, there's 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 something to be said about that, but at the same time, that wasn't the most pressing issue of the day. <laughs> well, so like, I, I see it as being of a piece with the the whole moral majority reagan era the the white flight suburban like conservative milieu like yeah so i i I see it i understand because the descendants did that stuff too i i want a suburban home and that was that's just kind of a general criticism that punks always made um I feel like it's the weakest criticism they could make of the day. Because there was real fucked up stuff going on. Right. And that's just, like, surface level to me. I don't know. Because I feel like it's a majority of them just going, these normies don't like me because I'm weird and a punk. And it's like, well, how about let's talk about what the United States is doing in, you know, South America right now. Right. Or... (laughs) Well, that's what the Minutemen were for. True. (laughs) Actually, uh... Yeah, Keith Morris is from uh, Hermosa Beach. Mm, is he? Um, so he's just kind of a hippie, too. Yeah, well, he's got those stupid dreadlocks. <laughs> so Those nine-foot-long dreadlocks. I think he just kind of like got it from both sides, like his surfer hippie friends and his punk friends. Everybody's yeah. just like, fuck the normies. Yeah. Which, you know, they would have been pretty 
close to like uh maybe more like orange county and yeah um more inland suburban la yeah <sighs> but <clears throat> the right the music on the record too mm. it's really like it's already scraping the bottom of the barrel of american hardcore yeah see that was my issue with like a lot of hardcore in this time period there were if you listen to them they all sound the same with the exception of a few of the bright spots like you got over in dc you've got bad brains and minutemen and then minor threat i mean minor threat yeah and then uh, in los angeles you have the minutemen and black flag but i i think overall and in new york you've got i don't know was there anything good actually coming out of new york in the 80s not in the early it wasn't 80s. bad brains when <laughs> there wasn't bad brains because then like boston's got ssd control and gangrene and texas has some weird bands and negative approach or over in detroit like they're all doing the same thing they're all playing those hardcore scales that right it's it's someone's impression of hardcore Mm -hmm. it's not someone's which and i was thinking about it like why why are the circle jerks other than the black flag association remembered so fondly when they didn't write any good songs and is it i I think it boils down to i I think it's the black flag connection the name recognition the the skanking right kid drawing and they had good imagery good good marketing i guess and they and it was just the it was just 82 it was 81 82 it was early 80s (laughs) and everyone just probably bought every hardcore record they could get like it just didn't yeah. matter if it was even that good or if you liked it that much, you probably just bought it and you listened to yeah. it because anything was better than what was on the radio. I also think there's a little bit of shock value in there because their name is the Circle Jerks. They have an album called Group Sex and another album called Golden Shower of Hits. <sighs> but it's funny when you look at yeah, gross. Uh, when you look at the songs themselves, they're not really shocking. No, not really. They're all they're mostly political. Mostly social stuff. There's one real... There's one song on here that really bugs me. It's um, Defamation Innuendo, where he's just basically just complaining about a music journalist. Yeah. Not not getting it. I'm like, come on, man. What are you... You wrote an entire song about this? Cool it. And even... The, like, But none of these other songs are super gross. So it's like, why did, why did they pick the name and name their albums these kind of... Oh, quote unquote shocking so, things. So defamation innuendo, if you actually, the term should actually be said the other way, innuendo defamation or innuendo is, it's a, it's like an actual legal term. It's basically what you, like, I think that's what it's actually called when someone says something defamatory. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. So he was just mad that someone wrote a, wrote a bad review. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're defaming me. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I just... It was just... it's this, Every song sounds the same. Especially after you get past the third track. The only one that I feel like it sounds different is what, Trapped? Because it has like those... It's like the one of the more aggressive tracks on the album. And it, it has the few moments where the the bass gets to do something other than just root chords
Oh, speaking of, Roger Rogerson, right? He's the bass player, is a classically trained guitarist. Weird. And Lucky Lehrer is a jazz drummer. It doesn't show. Why the fuck are they not letting the classically trained guitarist play guitar in the band? Instead, you got Bad Religion's Greg Heston playing guitar, which... Right, yeah. He's fine, he's serviceable, but you've never been like, God, those guitar solos or anything like that. And I get it, they weren't playing classical music, but he could have well added something right. to it. Right, like he would have at least come up with some interesting chord voicings or something, you know, something more like Husker Du, like, in terms yeah. of, like, complexity and m- some melodicism. Yeah, instead of just the basic hardcore scales they're playing that everyone had already played to death by this point, he could have thrown in some, yeah, a rate, like, I don't know. It didn't have to be classical, but it could have been different. It could have been better. Yeah, yeah. There's no weird time signatures for, you know, having a jazz drummer yeah, in your band. You think... There's no interesting all, drumming. It's just four on the floor, just hardcore punk beats. Which I get, he's servicing the songs, but do something. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I mean, this so I want, this album, like, it's not really super well re- reviewed, though. No. It's not... Out of, like, the classic three... It's the lower rated one. People like Golden Shower of Hits better. Yeah. Um, and Group Sex is the one that people like the most. And I like that one the most because it, at least it makes sense for 1980, you know? That's what you should have been doing in 1980 in hardcore. Um, by 82, you should have figured something else out. Uh, I don't know. It's... <sighs> yeah. Oh, and what about those... Two covers at the end of the album. <laughs> yeah. Really weird. So, like, the one he does fine. What's the one called? It's, uh, Just Like Me. It's fine. I didn't realize that was a cover until I looked yeah, it up Yeah, it's a Paul Revere and the Raiders. Yeah. But they do a cover of Put a Little Love in Your Heart, and that's where I was like, oh, Keith Morris, you're not a good singer. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's where I was like, oh, here's, here's the most clear example of how he's not actually a good singer. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's hardcore. He just really just has to yell. Yeah, but it's such a... I don't even think he yells good. No, he doesn't. His voice gives out all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So I wanted to I wanted to bring this up when we were talking when we were talking about the personnel. So I looked at the producers on the album, and um, it was produced by two people. Uh, one is Gary Hirschjus. Um, and he produced uh, a Social Distortion album and Wild Gift by X. Oh. And, and that was primarily it. But the other producer was the one that was like, what? Uh, is, the other producer was David Anderl, who produced albums by Chris Christofferson, Rita Coolidge, Ozark Mountain Daredevils, Booker T, Amy Grant, <laughs> and a bunch of soundtracks like the breakfast club and pretty in pink and bill and ted's excellent adventure the circle jerks is the only album remotely like this i wonder if he, he got credit because they used his studio or something it has to be because he's produced like a hundred albums of chris christopherson or rita coolidge alone just that he worked with them all the time like i wonder if maybe gary hersius Hirschis, uh was like an engineer or something at his studio thought, and then just like I don't think that's right either because I think there is an engineer listed on the album too. Let me check real quick. Yeah, there's an there's two other engineers on the album, Paul McKenna and Steve Katz. Um Greg Gary Hirschis. Oh, did I say Greg? It's Gary. Yeah. Uh he was also their manager. So it almost sounds like he didn't produce it either. It says it was recorded at A&M Studios, and that's probably where David Anderl comes in. The why was this recorded at A&M Studios? <laughs> yeah, they must have gotten like, yeah, because this is that's like a major. Okay, yeah. So a lot of the stuff he's done, he did was released on A&M Records. So it had to be one of those things where he's like, I'm getting credit because it's A&M. Yeah. They probably strange. booked the studio, probably recorded it at night. 
Yeah. Just, and what was the label again? Faulty Products was an imprint of IRS, which was, it was basically the, the, the arm of the label that distributed records that didn't get A&M distribution. That's what I was reading about. So, cause like IRS had some connection with A&M. Yeah. Yeah. IRS was distributed by A&M through from 79 to 85. Yeah. And then whatever they couldn't get through A&M's or whatever A&M didn't want to destroy themselves, that's what they created this other arm for, Faulty Products. Who, what did they put out under that? Anti-Nowhere League, uh, The Fall, Dead Kennedys, Cassette. <laughs> yeah, so like the more punk stuff that A&M didn't necessarily want. Yeah. I don't know, it's just funny to see such like a Chris Christopherson's producer <laughs> worked on this album. <laughs> yeah, he probably has no memory of it. No, uh, I'm sure he probably he didn't have anything there. to do with it. <laughs> those in, those two engineers probably did all the work. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, anything else you want to say before we move on to the next one? No. What What do you want to rate it? Like two point five. Yeah, me too. Like it's just not terrible. But it's not good. I never want to listen to no. it again. I n- never. Like, it's something that if I heard it playing over the PA at a show, I would be like, oh, huh, Circle Jerks. <laughs> and that would be it. Like, that's the most yeah. I want to interact with it again. Or the Circle Jerks <laughs> in general. Yeah. I, even though Group Sex is their best album, I don't ever want to listen to it. I don't think I've ever listened to it all the way through. I may have once or twice. I remember a couple standout tracks from my college days of downloading just a track at a time of music (laughs) instead of whole albums that napster style of downloading yeah well let's hop over to our ep what is our ep it is number 26 on the ep charts and it is articles of faith and their ep what we want is free This a lot more than yes much much more you know going into this i thought i had an idea of what articles of faith sounded like i thought they were another of the exact same thing i was just complaining about with scales hardcore scales that everybody is playing over and over and over again and there is a little bit of that but it's nowhere it's much more creative than that yeah i, think. I mean this is so this is their very first release mm-hmm it and it shows. Yeah, so uh, they were formed in 1981, so they'd only even been a band for probably less than a year when this came out. And they're from Chicago, Illinois. Which I didn't realize that. Which, which is interesting, and it kind of makes sense, because Chicago feels like one of the few bright spots of 80s hardcore, too. Like, there's some interesting bands that came out of Chicago, well, yeah, I mean, it led into, like, a whole noise rock scene, mm-hmm. and, yeah. But you could get a little bit of that from this album. Um, it was released on Version Sound, which was a very short-lived label that their only other major release was uh, a D. Cruisin' album. And I always lumped them in with D. Cruisin', too, which makes right. sense. Because aren't they a Chicago band, too, or are they from somewhere else? Uh, D. Cruisin' was Milwaukee, so Midwestern. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, but still, it's still the Midwest. Yeah. Um, personnel on this album is Vic Bondi on guitar, on vocals and guitar, Joe Scuderi on guitar, Dave Shield on bass, and Virus X on drums. <laughs> Virus X. <laughs> uh, otherwise um, known as Bill Richmond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right off the bat, though, you've got two guitarists in this band, so that is a big help. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they... So they... They... They actually use their two guitarists. Yeah. Like it, they have distinct parts. Um, it feels necessary to have two guitarists in this band. How many hardcore bands from this era had two guitarists? Not many. Black Flag just had one. No, Black Flag had two. Because yeah. Dez and Greg were playing at points. Um, and that it may explain why Black Flag is so unique. Minor Threat just had the one. Did Bad Brains have two? No. Well, they're just super talented. Um... Because Bad Brains was always a four-piece, and HR doesn't play anything. Yeah. It was, it was just Daryl on guitar. I mean, that was part of the appeal. Or, no, Daryl was on bass. You, know, you only needed f- three or to four members in a band. That was that was why punk blew up in England in the first place, and why it blew up in suburbia. And well, I mean, look at what you could do with one guitarist. I mean, Bad Brains, Minutemen, Who's Could Do. Yeah. All three, you know, three instrumentalists. Yeah, you know, one guitar player, all very technical and groundbreaking. But those, I feel like those are just super talented musicians. Too. I think that's true. And that's how they they made it work. Because all the other one guitar bands are nowhere near yeah. <laughs> the quality. And I feel like if Articles of Faith was just a one guitar band, they probably wouldn't have been as good either. They actually are a three guitar band on later releases their full links give thanks and in this life they have a th- a third guitarist yeah <clears throat> which i didn't know this until today but bob mold produced their their full length albums yeah i saw that too and i was like oh so i went and listened to them and i was like no this is actually a good band yeah why why did i think they were not a good band and i maybe i just didn't know people don't talk about them they don't no. talk about Articles of Faith. They don't talk about D Cruisin. No. Also a great band that I discovered, you know, found out way later was like <laughs> actually really good. People just don't and it's I guess cuz they were Midwestern and Probably. they weren't Husker Du. Yeah. I feel like Husker Du even in the early 80s weren't super well known. It wasn't right I don't I don't know the Husker Du yearly time chronology but when is the first? When does when does um, Zen Arcade come out? Eighty three, eighty four, eighty four. But their first um, Metal Circus came out in eighty three. Yeah, as well. So so they were later, and plus they were a little poppier. So that's why people talk about Husker Du. I think the quality of Husker Du is why people talked about Husker Du. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I don't know. Being a Chicago band, Chicago, I feel like didn't get a lot of recognition until a little later when like Naked Raygun. Um, kind of took off but now chicago is like a super well-known place for punk rock so you think we wouldn't have known better back then instead of worrying about doa in washington state <laughs> zero boys they were uh indianapolis they were a midwestern band i'm trying to i'm trying to find other midwestern bands from that time period um so Necros? let's let's, pa- let's pause right here i have a copy of american hardcore i can flip through that has a map on it so, like, not actually pause, but hold on a second. I'll be right back. All right, I'm back. Well, there was, like, uh, supposedly Articles of Faith are featured prominently in the American Hardcore documentary. Yeah, I, I don't remember that. I feel like Vic Bondi is in it, and he talks a lot, but I don't think they play or show a lot of footage of Articles of Faith playing. And if it is, it's real bad quality, and then... Yeah. So, even though... Even though uh, Stephen Blush is full of shit, his book is a handy uh, resource for early 80s hardcore. I'm just trying to find... So, like, there was... Detroit was actually pretty big for hardcore. Crucifix, uh, Necros, Negative Approach. Yeah, there's really not much from the Midwest. Not this early. Yeah, the emphasis was on D.C. and L.A. Even New York wasn't really... That big of a deal at this point. Boston weirdly was big because like the this is Boston, not LA comp. And yeah, I mean you had D control, negative effects, gangrene, FUs. 
here we go. Found a chapter on the Midwest. Yeah, he's talking about Detroit a lot. Chicago. Like, the effigies were a big deal in Chicago. I don't really know what the effigies sound like, though. Yeah. I know uh, Articles of Faith had some issues with them. Man, he talks a lot about the effigies. Naked Reagan. Wow, okay. Doesn't say anything else about... Oh, yeah. Articles of Faith sure are featured prominently. (laughs) He doesn't even mention them. Oh, wow. Really? I don't even see... Like, in the Chicago section. So he must have... He probably worked with the effigies. So he just didn't talk about Articles of Faith because of their beef. Probably. Yeah, I don't see anything else. That book is full of a lot of information, but the journalistic integrity of it is very compromised. So, there we go. Here we go. There's a paragraph. There's a... Okay, there's three paragraphs. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Articles of Faith was fronted by vigilant politico Vic Bondi, a Jello Biafra type who acted as the conscience of the mid-80s Midwest scene. People truly listened to him. Bob Mould of Husker Du produced their first record, 84's Give Thanks and 87's In This Life. Well, that's not even grammar. You need records. <laughs> uh, okay. Most of AOF's extensive history occurred after 1986, falling outside this book's scope. Fuck yeah, you. Yeah, right, because his whole thing is <laughs> hardcore was dead after 86. Yeah. There's two quotes. There's one from Al Quint, the editor of Suburban Voice. Articles of Faith, great band, great guy. Vic was very smart and articulate. Good guys back hard. <laughs> very smart and articulate and could express viewpoints much better than I could. I thought the, this music would change the world. And then John Kesdi, who is in here earlier, so I, he was in the effigies. Um, oh, here maybe we're going to find out about the beef. Vic Bondi went to D.C. and came back after seeing Minor Threat with his head shaved. An instant transformation that I was very suspicious of. Okay. okay. There was a rift between the effigies and Articles of Faith. Vic's first band, Direct Drive, did Springsteen covers. Yeah. They had a left-wing agenda and were clash clones in the political sense. I disagreed with that, but I really didn't like the fact that they were already copying someone else's position. It was so secondhand by this point. He became this big icon for what can be termed the second wave of Chicago hardcore, which, as you said, were Articles of Faith, Rights of the Accused. By that point, the band... The bands cloned each other. They sounded homogenous. I stopped being able to discern between bands. They started becoming less melodic. And if you ever hear somebody talk about the Chicago style, what they really mean is hardcore with melody. It was less thrash and more tunesmithing. It's really funny because that's not what Chicago is remembered for. <laughs> no, it's, it's big black. It's noise. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, that guy's so the dude's beef, he's al- like he's uh, also wrong because Vic Bondi saw bad brains. In D.C. Yeah, that's what I read. And described it as an epiphany. (laughs) Because of course it fucking was. If you see Bad Brains in 1980-81, it's gonna blow your mind. (laughs) I I did Uh, see that, though, that they did uh, Direct Drive was, uh, did Springsteen in Clash covers. (laughs) Which is kind of cool, too. So, uh, mm, what do the effigies sound like? I'm gonna find out. Yeah. Nothing like on-air investigation. Here we go. This shit's melodic, too. Okay, I don't get the beef. (laughs) Why would he be so suspicious of them being a clash clone when the effigies <laughs> sound like a clash clone <laughs> i don't know is there more than one effigies no that was them that was the chicago one like a <laughs> little bit of ramones this... yeah yeah i was suspicious of them mm. weird okay whatever dude yeah i think he was just mad that anyone came after 
I think he was yeah. just mad that someone was doing hardcore. After 86. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I um, so I listened to a little more of Articles of Faith. I listened to some of the stuff from their later stuff. Uh, they definitely got, yeah, they got noisier. They got a little more experimental. Mm-hmm. You can definitely you can definitely hear some Bob Mold influence on some of their yeah. guitar playing. Like they got really like some of those uh, like New Day Rising and like <clears throat> I, I mean honestly just all of the first. Of Scrooge releases like those kind of like I don't, even, I don't even know what you want to call it almost improv, improv <laughs> improvisational guitar lines that are just kind of mm-hmm. like atonal <laughs> yeah yeah it, the the little bit I sampled made me want to listen to more of their music especially knowing that Bob Mould produced the album yeah and I'm intrigued by the idea of an 80s hardcore band with three guitar players too so well and they're also um they're kind of sonically, at least, kind of proto emo. I saw that claim somewhere. I mean, they influenced heroin. Uh, I mean, yeah. and you can definitely hear how this sound could be considered influential to like Gravity Records bands mm. and that sound in general. Um, there, I guess I would maybe put Articles of Faith in like kind of the same camp as like what, like the Faith and Void. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Like a little noisier noisier than a lot of their peers and uh decurs and um yeah all those all those are pretty accurate like the noisier who's could do elements and but like on uh on this ep i really liked the um what the first song that that guitar line mm-hmm. um every, on every day yeah i liked that one and i liked bad attitude a lot bad attitude it's kind of like the single i feel like like the 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 one that you would advertise yeah. Because it was also a little bit more... It kind of reminded me a little bit of Ready to Fight, uh, the Negative Approach song. It's just mainly because he's repeating the same words over and over again in the chorus, but I don't know. I liked it. I, he had a he has a harsher voice, too, than a lot of people from this era. Yeah, he definitely followed, followed the DC example, at least vocally. Mm-hmm. Really committing, which is more than Keith Morris can say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I didn't bother to look, but I bet there's page after page after page about Circle Jerks in the, in this book. <laughs> because those albums came out before 86. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had not taken so much of that to heart. Did you? I don't know. I just feel like we I feel like we listened to a lot of like the early hardcore stuff, like the the really big names and then just kind of like sampled a little bit of the other early hardcore bands and were like ugh and just kind of gave up on 80s hardcore and didn't explore it more like i wish yeah. i had listened to swizz a lot sooner you know <laughs> and decruising yeah. and articles of faith and well it just got to the point where you had to dig really hard i feel like you got all the 
the the the best skimmed off the top, but then it would take a much more work to find. Because I feel like I didn't even get into Husker Du and Minutemen until much later. I was listening to Black Flag, Minor Threat, and Bad Brains more often. In the in the Misfits, I want to say I got into Husker Du. I probably listened to Zen Arcade in like 2008, shortly before going to college, <clears throat> and then just kind of like started to get into their discography a little more a little bit later in college. Probably was like, yeah, yeah I liked Zen Arcade. I should listen to more Husker Du, and then just kind of like worked my way through their discography and. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, definitely listen to just, all the I, all the Black Flag and all the Dead Kennedys and oh, just wasted yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least with the Minor Threat, you could do it. All, it was all on one CD yeah. that you could listen to. <laughs> but you ever like, why am I listening to Annihilate this week right now <laughs> or Bedtime for Democracy? <laughs> yeah, you know, I listen. Dead Kennedys definitely were my favorite of that era back when I was listening to it. And I'm like, oh, why were they my favorite? Fresh Fruit was good. Plastic Surgery Disasters is good. There's some decent songs on Frankenchrist. I don't think there's really anything standout on Bedtime for Democracy. Yeah, he's just. Jilla's just so corny. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Well. Oh, what was the song? We didn't talk about this on the Circle Jerks album. What's the song? What was that song that was was like? Well, this is just a Dead Kennedy song, but worse. <laughs> it was like a. It was like. I gotta look up the album. Murder the Disturbed. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I was like, is this like a Kill the Poor? I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. He takes the same like tone that jello does that very sarcastic and you know yeah Ugh. <laughs> keith morris well what would you give this um articles of faith ep i'd give it a 3.5 i would too i yeah. really i really want to listen to the rest of their discography yeah and they make it easy because there's just two full compilations yeah. on spotify too so thank you jello biafra because that was an alternative tentacles release so <laughs> Yeah, I feel like they would be... They're completely forgotten in the scheme of things of 80s hardcore, but and undeservedly, too. Thanks to... I, I do think uh, this book, American Hardcore, really... It really kind of does a it, disservice it, to American Hardcore. <laughs> yeah. By pretending like it stopped existing after 86, is it's irresponsible. <laughs> but also, I don't know, music journalists love to do that shit, because didn't... What's the... All the British music journalists act like punk died in 78. Yeah, when the Sex Sex Pistols broke up. And then like, well, well, now we're all post-punk. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... Never trust anybody who says a genre died. Yeah. Because they don't know what they're talking about. They just got tired of that genre. They stopped paying attention. They got old. (laughs) Now, a genre that did die, I feel like, is Third Wave Ska. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a little I mean, that's quantifiable. Because uh. <laughs> the, the only thing that has come out that could be classified as third wave ska are bands that started in the World third round. wave. <laughs> or at least yeah. have members that were in those bands. So, I bring up ska specifically next week. We have, we wound up with, where did my notes go? Hold on a second. I apparently typed them in the wrong spot. Okay. So next week, we wound up with the year 1996, and our album on we got was number 89, and it is the Aquabats, Return of the Aquabats. So that's the, hence the reason I was bringing up Ska. And um, on our EPs, we got number 106, and it is Darkest Hour, The Misanthrope. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, I love the Aquabats, so I'm gonna go ahead and get that out of the way. I like those early Darkest Hour records. Yeah, yeah, like the full links. Yeah, um, I don't think I'm gonna like the TV that. <laughs> no, much. probably not. But we can at least talk about Darkest Hour in a positive yeah. light. Yeah, instead of we'll save yeah. it. 
Well, all right. Uh, continue to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at PunkLottoPod. Um, our website is PunkLottoPod.SimpleCast.FM. Our email is PunkLottoPod at gmail.com. I haven't checked that email in a while. Um, <laughs> you should probably do that. We so, might have some fan mail, yeah, finally. I don't know what's in there. Um, yeah, so all our episodes are available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Um, think that's it. Um, anything else we need to mention? Nope. Um, tell us what your favorite overlooked, uh, 80s hardcore band is. Yeah, yeah. That'd be good. Um, should post that on the the Instagram and stuff when this episode goes up. (laughs) Well, cool. Now we'll cue up the, uh, always sunny Dolph Lundgren (laughs) bit. (laughs) All right, all right. You know what? Check this out. What if it's a man with a few dog-like qualities, like a uh, heightened sense of smell? Oh, Jesus Christ, Charlie! Licking, We're not, there's no wait, 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 wait a second. A heightened sense of smell? What if he can smell crime? What if he smells crime? What if he can smell a crime before it even happens? Holy shit, dude! That's amazing. Smells crime before it even happens. Yes, dude. What if his entire head is just one big nose? Write that down. I like that. His one big nose on Dolph Lundgren's body. Oh, shit.